0: The real folks doing the work are out there on the fire line right now I'm sitting here on a conference call, but I got a bunch of 18 to 27 year old kids out there. You know, slinging chainsaws and digging dirt and hiking up and down the hills and, and those folks are the ones sometimes uh, You know, I get to get to do the talking, but they're the ones that need to need the credit and deserve the credit for for what they're doing and protecting these communities.
1: Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsberry, Executive Director of WGA. This episode of Out West highlights the 2020 wildfire season and focuses on how fire managers are dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Wildfire is a major issue in the West, and improving wildfire management is a high priority of Western Governors. On September 4th, WGA Senior Policy Advisor Bill Whitaker spoke with Aaron Thompson, State Fire Management Officer for the Bureau of Land Management in Montana and the Dakotas. In the time since Bill and Aaron spoke, The Western U.S. has experienced a wave of unprecedented wildfires, including record-breaking fires in Oregon, Washington, and California.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Whitaker, a Senior Policy Advisor for the Western Governors Association, here today to talk about wildfires and COVID-19. I work on a number of natural resource issues for WGA, including wildfire, forest, and range management. And I also have a background in wildfire. I worked as a professional wildland firefighter for both the National Park Service and the U.S. Forest Service. We're joined today by Aaron Thompson, the State Fire Management Officer for the Bureau of Land Management in Montana and the Dakotas. Aaron is calling from a wildfire right now and taking a break from the work to give us an update on the fire season and to answer our questions about how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting the West's wildland firefighters. So Aaron, before we begin, a bit of background. How did you get into this line of work and what made you want to be a firefighter?
0: So I grew up in the Black Hills uh, National Forest in South Dakota and I have an older brother that became a wildland firefighter uh, right out of high school. And I remember the day he came home um, with his red bag and back then it was truly a red bag um, full of fire gear. And I remember uh, unzipping his bag and going through it and seeing his yellow shirt and his green pants, a hard hat and I always looked up to my older brother and I from that day on I said you know that that is the profession I want to I want to be in and as I got older um, I realized that um, being a wildland firefighter being outdoors growing up in the forest uh, the love of the land and then being able to provide a, a public service um, to our you know to the, to the American public is what I really had um, passion for so that's um, you know, kind of growing up out, outdoors um, in the forest and, and wanting to follow in the footsteps of my brothers. What kind of guided me into uh, jumping into being a wildland firefighter?
2: Great. Did you focus on one particular type of firefighting, like engines or hand crews or haltech throughout your career? You know, growing up there in the Black Hills, that's where I started my career,
0: and it was uh, uh, mainly uh, wildland fire engines and uh hell um, but I, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a a fire manager someday, and I always felt like I needed to be well rounded and so although I started my engine uh, my career on engines um, I had the opportunity to to get skills and qualifications in in uh, helicopters hotshot crews incident command um, so I, I wanted to be able to be well rounded but um Mainly uh, focused on engines at an early age due to uh, the proximity with the Black Hills National Forest.
2: No, I definitely I spent most of my time on engines, so I can I can relate with that. But I also bounced around a little bit, and I can absolutely relate to uh, your story of looking at your brother. I remember um, being in uh, about twelve in Yellowstone National Park. Um, I was my. Um, I was living up there. My parents were National Park Service. And I remember seeing the fire crew there and at that age I thought that was the coolest thing in the world and just knew instantly. I remember seeing, um, you know, seeing the red bag, seeing the engines and just knowing instantly that's what I wanted to do. So I can definitely relate to, to that appeal. So um, to move to the fire that you're on, where are you calling from? Um, what's the name of the fire on? Where it's located and how's it going?
0: Yeah, I'm calling in from uh, the Woodward fire. It's uh, burning on the point Reyes national seashore in California. So this is a park service fire, uh, just over 4,800 acres. Um, as of this morning, 71% contained, um, at the peak of this fire, we had around 600 firefighters, um, fighting it, um, things over the last two weeks, uh, we've been very successful. Um, getting containment lines on this fire, being able to lift some evacuations and evacuation warnings, getting the public back in uh, into their uh, homes, and um, working closely here with the uh, with the Park Service on what it's going to look like when our incident management team uh, transitions this back to uh, to the Park Service.
2: How's it going um, with the community there? I know uh, the, if I'm correct, the um, at Point Reyes, there's a real um, history of wildfire and prescribed burning there more than other parts of California. Um, so I always thought it was an interesting park, and in that uh, you know prescribed burning and wildfire use and things like that are, are a little bit more established there than they are in other parts of the country.
0: Yeah, no, the public's uh, been extremely supportive and, and thankful of the firefighters and the great work that they're doing. Um, th- you know, this fire is extremely visible from San Francisco in the surrounding Bay Area. And then obviously the Point Reyes is, um, it's right in Point Reyes' backyard. So they have, you can see the smoke. So, you know, we've really been trying to get the message out to the, uh, to the local community that they're gonna continue to see smoke for, for quite some time. But the, uh, the potential for the fire to escape, escape containment lines is, is gonna be extremely minimal. And, you know, the, the Marin County Fire Department that we're working closely with, as well as the National Park Service, they, um they'll, they'll continue to have you know, resources on this fire, continuing to patrol, mop up, and respond to any, uh, any issues that um, the community sees in the future. But so far, the community has been very, very thankful, very engaged. Um, we've, we've really just had no, no
2: problems uh, dealing with, with the public out here. Um, so I'd like to uh, get to talking about COVID-19 and how it's impacting wild firefighting. But first, I just kind of want to lay out how, what wildland firefighting is like. I think I've been reading a lot of stories about um, wildland firefighting this year, just because it's exceptional year with uh, the coronavirus. But I think when I read those stories, most people don't understand how wildland fire- firefighting works, what a day in the life of a wildland firefighter is like. Um, I was a firefighter from 2016, to, or to, excuse me, from 2006 to 2015, and when I started, I just couldn't believe how different it was from what I expected. I would, you know, you watch the movies and you think it's just going to be people yelling and it's going to be crazy, um, go, go, go all the time and trees crashing. And I didn't really realize how much of a slog a lot of firefighting is. Um, it's a lot of just hard work every single day, pretty unglamorous um, and very repetitive. And I just think, you know, the the... Um, popular perception versus reality is a little bit mixed so can you just describe a typical day for wildland firefighter and has it changed any at all since um i got out of it about six seven years ago you bet you know wildland firefighting is definitely a physical
0: work you must be in good physical condition Um, firefighters are definitely physically fit people Uh, you've also got to have a sharp analytical mind to be successful uh, firefighter because you're often handling several different tasks at once. Um, managing people, guiding fire suppression operations, planning for future fire activity, thinking about logistics such as how you'll ensure your firefighters are eating healthy meals on a fire and how they get ample rest and how we follow safety protocols and much more. While on firefighting is uh, definitely not an easy job, though it's rewarding at the same time. Um, you're able to uh, save property, protect lives, precious res- natural resources, uh, which is no small feat. You know, the day in the life of a firefighter on a on a large fire now starts at probably five o'clock in the morning. Getting the uh, getting the crew, getting food, getting the tools ready for the day, going through morning briefings. Um, Hitting the fire line, you know, you're hiking, hike a piece of line to where you're going to start your your mission for the day. And they're going to work a long, long day in the smoke and dirt, eating on the line, packing water with them all day long. You know, and then they'll end their shift around, um, you know, 2100 at night and around 10 o'clock, they try to be bedded down for the day. So long hours, like you said, it's, it's We talk about it being more of a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, And you gotta be able to endure 16 hour days over two week periods with uh, very few days off in between the next potential assignment. And so over time, I think, um, you know, the day in the life of a firefighter on the ground, it has changed and it's changed probably a lot with the technology that we utilize. But operationally, um, we'll always need to have uh, um, the boots on the ground, the, the, the tools that those folks use, being able to scrape vegetation and get down to, to the mineral soil and, and cut trees. Um, it, it's going to need to be uh, always going to need to have that firefighter able to do that. But we've been able to, um, over time with technology, modify um, some of the approaches to uh, how we fight fire.
2: And I've heard that said before um, just on the fire line. I said, you know, firefighting, there's all this new technology and communications are incredible. And you get these new aerial assets to, you know, drop retardant water on a fire more effectively. But you still will always need somebody stirring mud with a shovel out in the woods. There's no way around that. So, you know, I can imagine things change, but I can imagine the, the basic component of just getting out there and, uh, you know, the actual fundamentals of firefighting probably never will change.
0: Nope. there's always going to be that need for the for the operational firefighter out there, but we're really, really learning a lot of uh, uh, new ways of planning and communicating and um, conveying the mission in in the behind the scenes aspect of
2: fire management. And so this year we've been hearing a lot about fire camp in the news, particularly as it relates to um, COVID-19 and coronavirus and just hygiene and also the infamous camp crud. So, can you just describe what fire camp is and the living and working conditions that make it so hard um, in a situation where you have a pandemic?
0: Yeah. So, you know, a, t- a traditional fire camp can be five hundred to thousand, uh, over a thousand people um, out in a out in a field. We set up a, a, a tent city, if you will, and so you're you know talking a lot a lot of a lot of people coming from all over the country. So different vectors um, living in close quarters, um, utilizing outhouses and portable showers, um, things like that. So you know, the crews are working long days together in, uh, in in buggies, driving in vehicles together, extremely dirty. So you know, we used to talk about camp crud a lot, and um, We'd have the camp crud or a flu or virus go through camp once in a while um, just based on, on some of the living conditions and, and hygiene that, that we, were, we would uh, um, use in fire camps. And this year, due to, to, to COVID-19 and a lot of our mitigation measures with hygiene and hand washing stations and social distancing and um, cleanliness, I've been on two very large complex fires this year with, um, you know, well, this one having over 600 people, the one in Arizona I was on earlier this summer, we had over 1200 people at it. And um, we had zero cases of camp crud. And I would really, that that is a success to the hygiene and social distancing that we've uh, um, instilled in our firefighters and fire camps. And so I think going forward, what we're learning is by uh, in, in putting putting some more, you know, hand sanitizer out there, encouraging folks to spread out a little bit more, um, modifying the way that we live at fire camp and how we set fire camps up. Um, ultimately, we can we we're we're staying much healthier, and the camp spread's been much less this summer
2: as it has been in the past that's amazing actually that in uh, two fires that size there's only been there were no instances of camp crud. because i think my experience was you'd get you'd get sick about august and you'd kind of feel bad through october just because it was so those fire camps were just so unhygienic and you know you do your best but it's just a bunch of a uh, bunch of dirty people so you know i think that's a it's to me it seems like a real testament that people are really changing their behavior and really taking this um seriously so that's that's really good to hear so um, how are, how's COVID-19 impacting other wildland fire operations beyond um, just the, the camp? Is it affecting the way you actually go out and put out the fire or prescribe burns or things along those lines?
0: Yeah, so, you know, while COVID-19 um, circumstances are rapidly evolving, the federal guidance continues to adapt with the situation. The BLM's responded to wildland fire incidents during COVID outbreaks. Basically, we're conducting wildfire suppression operations as we normally would but we're using some different tactics to reduce COVID spread potential and thus protect our employees. Um, we, we talk about we're following the module as one or the family unit concept. So crews operate much like families. Fire personnel, we you know we're continuing to monitor their health daily to watch for symptoms. And if any employee notices symptoms, fire managers are working uh, with them to immediately provide medical care if necessary and to isolate Yeah, people, so that uh, to prevent the spread to other employees, and you know, really, we're we're modifying the way we're setting up fire camps. We're, um, you know, we got the we we, we traditionally would put an incident command post, um, sleeping, food, maybe all in one location. And this year, we're trying to spread out where the incident command post may be located miles away from the base camp where firefighters are sleeping. That way, the incident management team. Um, can kind of stay separate and uh, the firefighters can stay separate and we're modifying how we communicate where morning briefings nowadays are we're doing it via radio where we used to traditionally have a thousand people standing shoulder to shoulder listening to a morning briefing we're modifying that and doing it over the radio now or through a zoom platform and projecting it or firefighters are sitting in their engines and hotshot buggies headed to the fire line and they're listening and watching the morning briefing via um, a mobile device. And so we've been able to spread out much more than we have in the past, which really has
2: has helped out. So you mentioned some of the new Operational practices that you put in place due to the pandemic are have some of those turned out to be beneficial. Are you actually going to um, keep some of those practices after the pandemics passed? Yes. Um,
0: you know, we've been able to uh, um, A lot of the back to a lot of the planning and pre planning preparing for this fire season. um, A lot of what we're learning uh, through the use of technology. That yeah, we absolutely will keep uh, a lot of our new processes in place, and and one of those I'll talk about is um, uh, when you come into a large fire camp. There used to be a traditional check-in where each firefighter would have to go to a person and, and physically write down, you know, where they came from and what their qualifications were, and you know when you had that hand-to-hand, face-to-face contact. And now we're uh, we're doing all that via. Um, um, web-based systems now. And so it's all virtual. So we're doing what we're calling remote check-in to fires. So crews, when they get on the, get to the fire assignment, they can essentially self-check-in from their vehicle and we can populate our incident action plan based on that. So there's, there's zero contact there with the incident management team. Um, we're doing a remote demo. So as a cruise and you, you remember Bill being a firefighter, you know, before you could leave a fire camp, you had to get your uh, your timesheet. You had to turn in all your equipment and gear and supplies. Um, now this is all electronic. Folks can do this on a on a smart smart device. Um, so it's uh, it's minimizing that contact, as well as it's actually probably speeding up the process of of getting folks out of out of fire camp and on the road to their home unit. Other things, like I said, was uh, our morning br- briefing that was one that was going to challenge us as, as a fire community how we we're going to get the important morning operational briefing to the firefighters and we've adapted that by um by doing the radio briefings and or like the zoom platforms or microsoft teams platforms and um that's that's to be very beneficial to the firefighters and we've definitely been able to minimize uh, uh our exposure to each other um and all the vectors that come along with a thousand people standing shoulder to shoulder you know our meals the way that we've uh, traditionally done done fire camp meals in the past is you line up and you go through a big um, assembly line into the through the caterer and um, they put the put the plate together for you well now under the new national contract they're uh, boxing all the food in these little clamshells, and so minimizing that um, contact at the at the camp uh, at the food at the food unit and so only one person's going up you have to be masked up to get your food and then there's no um there's no traditional seating as in the past you know we'd we'd have big tents where all the firefighters would sit and eat their chow in the chow hall and this year we have none of that so folks are crews are getting their food in their little uh uh, to-go boxes taking them back to wherever they're sleeping um spread out and they're eating as as that module of one and uh family unit so the best way i would say is um talk about it as an incident management team is you know the, ol- the old system or or the other system that we we're traditionally used to was kind of battle tested for the last you know 50 years in wildland fire and it worked pretty well and we just haven't been able to truly um, battle test our new processes and so this year, being the first, um, first trial of, of this new um, environment um, is proven to be um, um, pretty successful. There's been a few bumps in the way, but um, those things are um, issues that we can definitely resolve. And uh, so we're definitely seeing some efficiencies. And overall, the, the health of our employees um, is what we're really focused on. And um, I think we're doing a pretty good job of taking care of them.
2: And so in addition to the initial attack and large fire plans, how has COVID-19 impacted the non-suppression fires um, or more limited suppression fires, things like prescribed burning or just general fuels reductions um, and managed fires or um, you know, fires for wildlife uh, or for resource benefits or whatever the, the term of art is now, um, how does it affect those activities? <laughs> So we've
0: been able to continue uh, meeting fuels reduction goals established early in the fiscal year. Uh, For example, right now we're on track to treat more than 600,000 acres by the end of the fiscal year, um, which is September 30th. And that goal was set long before the pandemic occurred. Uh, Fuels reduction treatments are so important because they reduce the fire risk in the long term. So it's critical for us to determine how we could continue our fuels treatment program without compromising the safety of our employees, but that hasn't come without some challenges. We've definitely um, um, working through all these new mitigations. We've had to, you know, a, tip a traditional prescribed fire. Once again, we would have a morning briefing, and we'd all get together. So we've had to work through these new uh, processes of how do we how do we do a morning briefing on a prescribed burn and minimize contact, and so. That's where we started uh, field testing this, uh, these radio briefings, emailing maps um, through our, the use of our technology. Instead of passing out paper maps, we're just um, putting them on our mobile devices now, um, spreading folks out, um, more vehicles certain, um, on certain projects. But overall, we're going we're gonna to be able to meet our, uh, um, the target that we, we set out to, to accomplish. Um, and, um, continuing to work through these, uh, these best management practices that were developed back in March, April, May of this year, preparing for the fire season. The fuels program, uh, just, just goes hand in hand with the, the fire suppression program. And so the same folks that were involved in, the, in, within our fuels, um, programs are, have been involved with the, uh, the fire,
2: um, program as well and we're very familiar with all these same best management practices. Well, it's good to hear. Yeah, it's a complex problem, so good to hear some of the best folks are on it. So, Aaron, thank you for the interview. Thanks for taking your time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's been really cool to talk to someone on the field and just talk shop for a little bit. It's nice for me to sort of relive my glory days and talk to someone who's actually out there doing the work. So, we appreciate that you taking the time. We appreciate all the work you're doing out there in the fire. And um, thanks a lot. Thank
0: you, Bill. I appreciate it and. Uh you know i just want to you know throw out there that the real folks doing the work are out there on the fire line right now i'm sitting here on a conference call but i got a bunch of 18 to 27 year old kids out there you know slinging chainsaws and digging dirt and hiking up and down the hills and, and those folks are the ones sometimes uh, you know i get to get to do the talking but they're the ones that need to need the credit and deserve the credit for for what they're doing and protecting these communities so
2: that's a good point, Aaron, and I, I totally agree. I think it's good to give credit where credit is due and that there's a huge number of young people right now in the West um, really waking up every day under hard circumstances and going out every day and just um, really working hard to protect the West, resources to protect life and protect property. And I think a lot of people don't really understand um, how difficult that work can be and sort of the toll it can take on everybody. So I think It's always good to give credit to those folks who are out there actually doing the work in the field when there's an opportunity.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about our ongoing work on wildfire, forest, and rangeland management, please visit westgov.org. And be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss significant issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Aaron Thompson for sharing his expertise on Western wildfires. Happy trails, everyone.